Dun, oh. dun. Oh, you're right. Get a bit of gate ready. <laughs> bang, 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 how are you feeling right now? You are one week away from Eurovision Madness. I'm a bit excited. It's actually. so weird to have like have you here, and I know yeah. that obviously you can't be overseas. Yeah, um, but I almost keep forgetting. It's like, oh my god, that's right, it's May. It's Eurovision. Yeah, it's glitter Christmas. You're about to head into crazy. glitter and wind machine <laughs> and key change Christmas for all the things that you love about music turned up to eleven. It's that time of year again. I'm actually excited because we didn't get to do it last year. Yeah, and well, we did a sort of a, a it was a chart show of what may have won had Australia voted and those results had been the only votes. Um, but Different this year, states. Yeah, but this year, um, I, and I've missed working with Joel too. It's mm. It's been over a year. So I just can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited. To, we're broadcasting this year from Sydney, so we're not going to go, oh, there's Norman. Hello, darling. <laughs> Hello. He knew. He always comes he as knew. soon as we press record. He knew I was looking at other animals on Instagram. <laughs> oh my god! He loves so, you. He heard your voice. Hello. He also is a massive fan of Eurovision. So he's yeah, like, exactly. you guys talking he about Eurovision? I want some intel. Um, yeah, we're not going to Rotterdam this year, and uh, no one's going. Montaigne's not going either. But um, I think we'll, we'll broadcast from the SBS studios, same as usual. Still crazy hours and all of that, but um, it'll be loads of fun. I can't wait. Good outfits. Are you wearing sparkles? Haven't seen my outfits yet. I'm waiting oh my to gosh. see them. Yeah, they, look, they know what I like, which is sequins, basically, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm expecting: glitter sequins, ridiculous big sleeves, all of it, all of it. Bring it on! All right, we'll check back in before you okay. dive into that madness next week. Yep. Um, before we get into bang on this week, your home for music, art, life, and stuff, and oh. of course, um, educating you on new words like chuggy. I have a Chugi update. Can oh. you believe it? Chugi continues. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, just go back to last week's episode. I don't want to repeat it again. Yeah. <laughs> Chugi's like, um, it's it's what Gen Zers would say to millennials mostly about the kind of clothes that they wear and the things that they like and it's the stuff burn. and the stuff that they're hanging on to, but it can be applied to anyone. It's sort of a, a Gen Z version of, of daggy or, or uncool or whatever. And there's a Chugi update this week. Um, this sentence perfectly captures it in The Cut, the wonderful online um, magazine. Says, if the sentence Chugi is being sold as an NFT means absolutely nothing to you, good. Get out while you can. Now, I'm here to help. <laughs> yes. Um, NFTs we've never discussed before. I oh, know. On... I thought about bringing it to the table a couple of times, but then I went, oh, no, nah, it's going it'll, be... <laughs> it'll pass. It will pass. An NFT, if you haven't yet heard of it, is a non-fungible. Fungible. To- fungible. A, a never- fungible. Yeah, fungal ball sounds like something you need that, a cream, a, a topical cream for. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, true. <laughs> a non-fungible Ooh. token. So it's this exclusive digital asset that says you own the original version of this thing. But obviously digital art means that there can be many, many reproductions. So it's just basically you saying I own the original even if it's been reproduced three million times, mm. I've got the original. That's what an yeah. NFT is. They've become big lately. They're particularly big in the world of cryptocurrency. A lot of people are selling them for crypto. Mm. And sure enough, Gabby Rasson, who was the 23-year-old who claimed credit for the world, Chugi, has decided to sell it as an NFT. Now, it's already been sold. The interesting thing about this is that she put it up for 
listed it for the price of one ETH. Now, if you wonder, an, an ETH is a cryptocurrency. It's like the next popular one underneath Bitcoin. Okay. And, and one ETH equals about 4,000, just over 4,000 American dollars. Um, it went up and about 24 hours later, it sold for a tenth of that, $420. So someone owns the word, the NFT. Chugi, is that all she made? For 420 Is that all she made the, from that? Because you know the little girl that is in the photograph of the house on fire and oh, that meme, face yes. that became a meme, she just sold hers for over $600,000. Because it's iconic. Chugi's obviously not iconic. Maybe she went too fast. Yeah, she, Chugi. She got, don't go too fast too early. It's a bit Chugi to go and sell it out. She did say the reason for selling it was, I thought it would be very Chugi to create the Chugi NFT. <laughs> She read my mind. And shout-outs to Camilla who emailed us this week. Thank you so much for explaining Chugi to me. Literally popped up overnight on my Insta and I had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> Yet again, you are the source of truth. We're that here correct. to help. Um, something that you would have seen if you'd casually looked online, the Daily Mail, or even just chatted with a friend around the quote-unquote water cooler. Or any television channel, because my goodness, an American turns up in Australia, a famous American turns up somewhere in Australia that we all like to go, Australian television loses its mind. And we've been very proud that Matt Damon has kind of decided to call Australia home for a while. I mean, he mm. owns a house in Byron Bay. He's obviously good friends with the Hemsworths. He's here right now Is he filming. Byron Bay? Yeah. Is he going to be in I highly doubt it. <laughs> I don't think he needs to do any reality TV, but you know what? Maybe. Um, but he's here filming Thor with half of Hollywood as well. And he was spotted, I love this, it's my favourite thing online this week, uh, at what looks like the front bar of a Byron Bay pub. What is ostensibly the TAB? The TAB section <laughs> of a, a New South Wales pub. And they're pretty distinct. Like it's as soon you as you look up. The, the stale oh. cigarette smell through the screen. Oh, I can gross. hear the races being called, the murmur of the races being called in the background. Oh, I can, and just the beer-soaked beer mat of that back room <laughs> that's always just so gross. That was the gross thing about those TAB sections <laughs> in pubs. And that's how he's representing Australia on the Today Show in America, which the, has, I'm sure, hundreds of millions of viewers. And look, we all thought about our, our backgrounds when we were Zooming, didn't we, when we were stuck in, at home home in isolation going best show the best face but when you're as rich as Matt Damon you don't give a fuck you're just like whatever (laughs) I don't care if my chins are double and it's up from under me and I'm at the pub and um actually I was watching the project last night and Pete Hellier made a funny joke about it he said (laughs) good on Matt Damon for suggesting to his wife that the reception is better at the pub for the wi-fi when he (laughs) when he is a million dollar movie star yeah of course his wi-fi is amazing at his house (laughs) Just nicked down to place some beds. He sure did. He sure did. Good on him. Good it on was him. very funny. They did ask him. They opened the interview because they were talking to him about a new film he has opening and they were asking him straight off about one of the other biggest stories about his mate, Ben Affleck. Now, who thought we'd be talking about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in 2021? I I'm mean, here for it. This is amazing. <laughs> I don't even think it's they comfort, would think it's nostalgia. we'd be talking about them. This is what them. the pandemic does to us, <laughs> no. just going full circle. And speaking of going full circle, there is word that um, J-Lo and Ben Affleck, a.k.a. Benifer, mm. almost 20 years since they were a thing, apparently they've hooked up again. This is, this is not real. Surely. Really? They've gone on holidays, photographed holding hands. No. Why Has not? he got a movie to 
promote as she? Uh, uh, does he need? He needs Are they to doing be jiggly too. Yeah, he needs to be redeemed <laughs> from something because you know maybe it was because of the release last week of his video on Raya of him looking quite des- <laughs> desperate. It's me. What did he sound like? Remind me what he sounded like. Ben Affleck. No. Why did you block me? It's why did you block me? It's me. You sound like Bane. Good. <laughs> I'm amazing at, um, yes, doing those, those, what do you call them? Interpretation. No, what's the word for that? Impersonations. Impersonations, that's it. Um, uh, thank you for letting me do that again too. Appreciate that. Oh, please, that was fun. anytime. Um, it's me. Um, oh, um, yeah, I reckon it's a kind of a redemption act to go, righto, this has gone global. How do we beat it? How do we trump it? J-Lo's needs some good publicity because she's just broken up from A-Rod, who's the famous sports person of some description. Baseball. Baseball. Yeah. baseball. Uh, and so – and he was rumoured to be having a, an emotional affair with another woman online. Mm. So, you know, both of them need their egos to be propped back up into the spot where they think they deserve to be, which is not being the one in the negative. And I reckon it's all a ploy. I like the idea that they'd get back together again, though, 20 years it's later. It's nice, isn't it? I just want some it's, more. I like second chances. I like it too. I like that too. But I, if only they do another Jenny from the Block video clip, <laughs> that's where I will I will accept this is real. This needs to be a gift for all of us. Yeah. Not just for them. You need to cough up for all of us. <laughs> I am here for this. You sent me a great little um, video this week of Little Mix making history at the Brits too. Oh, so and the Brits, good. there was some good... Um, Dunny roll holder dresses. Oh, yeah, amazing. At the Brits. We won't go into it too deeply no. because there's a lot of fashion going I love on now that the, awards season's come back. I love the fashion at the Brits though. They they just don't really care about whether or not it's in fashion necessarily. Mm. They dress for themselves in Their Britain own style. much more than uh, in other countries. They're not living in fear of other people's opinions, I find, in in Britain in particular because mm. they've kind of grown up with fast fashion and it's not about conforming there, which I love, and that was great. But, yeah, um, Little Mix won Best Group and this is the Best British Group. And did you know, and I was amazed by this, they were the very first ever all-women group to win the award. I didn't know this. Can you believe this? Actually, can we have a little listen to some of their speech? Yeah. It's not easy being a female in the UK pop industry. We've seen the white male dominance, misogyny, sexism and lack of diversity. We're proud of how we've stuck together, stood our ground, surrounded ourselves with strong women and are now using our voices more than ever. That's right. Uh, The fact that a girl band has never won this award really does speak volumes. So this award isn't just for us, it's for the Spice Girls, Sugar Babes, All Saints, Girls Aloud, (laughs) all of the incredible, incredible female bands. This one's for you. I mean, what a great speech. What a great thing to say. And I think it really highlights the change in music and how we value certain types of music. I mean, girl groups were ridiculed, Mm. essentially. And boy groups And boy groups by the music press. I think female groups more so. I mean, think about even in Australia how Bardo have been the butt of jokes forever, Um, loved by a certain few, but for most people were considered to be the butt of jokes because they were a girl group. And that mm. says speaks volumes about how we value pop music and the artistry of pop music, how we value the artistry of women, how we value the artistry of music, which is essentially up until this point, particularly in Britain, which is where we've looked to 
for a long time for our inspiration here in Australia. Yeah. Um, England and America, I think we can safely say that that's where we, we have got a lot of our inspiration the from. The biggest cultural influences. Yeah, sure. and I think we're realising now that a lot of that has, has been essentially male-dominated and pretty standard rock and roll groups yeah. and for this to have happened and people might say oh little mix and yeah it's pop and it's not my style and it's cheesy and all of that but it's a lot it, of other people's style it's millions a lot, of people can't be wrong you know what it's a lot of other young women's style yeah. and young women have been derided for their fandom forever and I know lots of people have been seeing that musical that's out at the moment fangirls and I didn't get to see it but I've, I've spoken to the director of it and it sounds amazing essentially think about it if it weren't for young female fans who's taken has been deemed questionable forever, there would be no Beatles. And I think this speaks volumes for that mindset perhaps changing. It's taken a long time and that people are now starting to respect these women who make freaking catchy pop, you know, and, and there's nothing bad about that. Now, if you follow any Australian musician, particularly female musician, um, on social media or perhaps you've got friends in the music industry or you're just kind of aware of the conversations that have been circling, you've probably seen that there is a very rising volume of what people are saying is Australia's Me Too movement in the Australian music industry. Um, there's been a, an Instagram account that's been kicking around for the last year called mm. Beneath the Glass Ceiling, which has been anonymously sharing allegations of sexual harassment and assault. Uh, and this week, there were a couple of big pieces. Jaguar Jones popped up on the project a couple of nights ago, talking about her experiences being assaulted by two producers in a Brisbane club. And Dr. Jeff Crabtree, who is at the University of Technology in Sydney, published a massive thesis mm. um, based on research that he'd done over two years, spoken to about 33 people face-to-face -face and 145 survey respondents on just that, on harassment, on sexual assault, yep. on respect and lack of respect, consent, all of it within the Australian music industry. And some of the stories that surrounded this um, are stories that we've heard before. Yeah. But absolutely. some of the detail was um, pretty shocking. Yeah. And I think as a researcher, um, Dr. Crabtree, I think even he was shocked um, at the level of not just sexual abuse, but the level of, of aggressions, microaggressions in the industry that women face on a daily basis. Like he seemed shocked by the results. Well, it's the majority, isn't it? There's 65% of women who were surveyed have experienced pressure to have sex. 85%, 85% have experienced other forms of sexual harassment. Mm. There are discussions of non-consensual sex, yep. alleged rapes, yep. um, and several other people um, who were surveyed reporting that they had friends or colleagues that they knew had been raped. Mm. So... Yeah. What what is what is revealed is that this experience of being a woman in the music industry, whether you're an artist, an engineer, working as a roadie on any facet, it is working markedly in a record different, company. Markedly different to the male experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and you've got to totally negotiate every day this minefield of how to deal with these um, approaches, these harassments, what your reaction is, so that you don't do something that upsets the person who is a, harassing or abusing you and then that harms your career yeah. exactly there's like the total yeah imbalance of power throughout all of it absolutely and this is what kind of disgusts me about 
the industry itself, the longer I've been in it, you know, it makes me really question it deeply. Mm. It's based on power structures and has been for a long time. Even the artists quite often don't come out on top in these situations. If they're even wildly successful, there's still power structures in place that have put them in places whereby they're uncomfortable or um, they find it upsetting. It's it's so wrong. It And I think it is changing, but it's astounding when you read figures like this, that it is an industry that actually rewards uh, a few people and it's very good at covering up for those few people who are in positions of power. Um, it rewards people for bad behaviour. And the majority of people towards who are in women. positions of power are men mm. and are men of a, of a certain group, of a certain yeah. background. Um, there's, there's certainly a feeling as though there's not really an understanding of what um, many women or those who are in lesser positions of power could be going through when you see the the heads of companies um, of music bodies across Australia. I was sort of looking at this and I have this reaction which I have to check myself with where I think I literally say this out loud and in my own head, I'm lucky I've never been sexually assaulted. What a fucked thing to say. Like shouldn't you go into any, and I'm talking within the workplace, mm. Shouldn't you go into any workplace and expect respect Safety. and protection? Yeah, if you would expect to feel safe. But the problem with the music industry well, is... Well, you don't. Like, it's, it's in venues. It's out. It's loose. It's not... There's not a structure. But th- this is still happening in businesses with structure that aren't loose. But also within that reaction that I have, I then think about all the tiny little things that have happened through my mm. career. And when I think about them, I'm like... It has happened. That's, in- that's inappropriate. But you just, you're so used to it in coming up in the music industry that you just normalise it and you also put it on levels of what's appropriate and what you let slide and what you laugh off either in the moment or forever, Mm. what you normalise. And I just keep on thinking about those moments of very high up people slapping me on the arse at the Arias and telling me to play their band. In front of everyone, totally inappropriate. Yeah, that's um, gross. Yeah, and, and me actually going, did that just ha- did that just happen? Yeah. Like, right, like this was just a few years ago. Did that happen in this day and age? Mm. What? Well, clearly it does, and it's still happening, and it's a huge problem. What 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 kind of monster is this? Yeah, because just... it's unregulated as well, which allows it's like a playpen for creeps. Well, one of the things that Dr. Crabtree talked about was that, you know, because obviously this this is a very big thesis. It's 500 pages. There's a lot of research into it. But where to from here? Mm. Because we talk a lot about any form of allegation in Australia is definitely held up by the um, very unique defamation laws that we have. Which are very difficult to prove. Which is why we haven't had our Me Too mo- moment in Australia on, on large scale. Mm. Um, and, and taking out any kind of criminal... Um, charges is also very difficult to prove. Yeah, exactly. So so how do we actually move forward from this? And he suggests that consent training is a good start. It has to be mandatory. That way you can't say, oh, I didn't know I was doing the wrong thing because you've been trained. Mm. So this is something basic. It's it's structural. This is what we talked about. You know, it's, it's about putting people in positions of power that have a, a diversity of experience that aren't all coming from the same mindset and that certainly aren't protecting people who are like themselves. Um, 
but it's about also getting that structural training and respect as well. Like mm. I just, y- you see through all of these instances and things that are happening, you know, and, and Dr. Jeff Crabtree notes it himself. It's just, there's, you, you see all this evidence and it's like women are treated as playthings, as as objects of entertainment or uh, desire or something that is used by a man in the music industry, mm. not as an artist and a worker and someone who's created They're not valued. They're not valued. Exactly. You're so, disposable and that's the thing. If you can ruin a career like that because somebody rejected your advances, that means that you think that person is disposable. And if you threaten to ruin a career, then, yeah, that, that means that you think that that person is not of value. And that's just disgusting. I wonder when this rising will happen. There was two very public sackings recently um, of a couple of music executives, Scott McLaughlin at Warner's and Tony Glover at Sony. But even in relation to this, um, Jeff Crabtree was saying, you know, in terms of the whole industry problem, sacking two men has the same effect as trying to put out a bushfire Mm. with a garden hose. Mm. So when is the uprising coming? Yeah, wow. I don't know. And will I do it or am I too scared of getting sued? Like legit. (laughs) I'm honestly like I think about this every day. Um, And I think about all the women who have these stories and who want to have these men held to account Mm. but are too scared because they're scared of being sued because the people who uh, they are accusing have vast resources of money and power to crush them. And, and like that's, just so that's what imbalanced. Jaguar Jones said, you know. That's what Dina said. She said, you know, they can, with one phone call, they can ruin your life. Remember, I think I talked about it on Bang On the um, a while ago when I read the She Said, or maybe I read it, actually, I think I read it when I was long, on long service leave. And it was by the two New York Times journalists and they basically mapped out this path of you know, basically collecting this dossier, this story mm. against Harvey Weinstein and what they needed in order to be able to, for it to be published and for it to tip the scale for this man who had been, um, same thing, stories circulating about his behaviour for knew. 20 years longer. I knew and I'm not even in Hollywood. It's like actually 30 or 40. It was a long time. Forever. Yeah. And so that gave me a real insight into what you need to be able to make something um, credible, tip the balance and... Sadly, you need those big names, you need a large volume of women and I'm just wondering when, if Mm. or when that will happen in Australia. It's a very small industry. It is very cosy, uncomfortably cosy at times. Will it ever happen in Australia? But that's also protected a lot of people from taking responsibility for their terrible behaviour. Exactly. That, that it's easily covered up because it is so cosy. Exactly. So that's like the, uh, the blessing and the curse of our local scene. Mm. When will it happen? Yeah. I better lawyer up, eh? Better. (laughs) Hey, what are you banging on about this week? Well, interestingly enough, this is a bang on that's loosely related to what we've been talking to today. It's a television series about a girl group from the 90s, early 2000s, who have reformed and decide to restart their careers. Um, and there is an appearance by one Dolly Parton played by... Oh, here we go. ...played by Tina Fey. So, um, girls, <laughs> girls forever. It's so good, like, in parts. Like, some, look, I have to say, before I start, I reckon this would have been a better film. It just feels like it's it's not 
it, it doesn't quite work as a TV series, but there's so many zingers in it that just make you go, oh, my God, because it's all about the early 2000s and and this girl group, you know, there's the hot one, there's the serious one, there's the, the chill one. There's something the, for everyone. Yeah, there's something for everyone. <laughs> and um, it stars Sarah Bareilles, uh, who's a singer herself, um, Busy Phillips, who is amazing as the hot one. Yeah. Uh, Renee Elise Goldsbury and also Paula Pell, who's freaking hilarious, um, as the former member of the 90s, early 2000s group, and they reunite as adults and they're, they're trying to give their pop star dreams another go. And it's been written and produced by Meredith Scardino, who's done uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, also oh. The Colbert Report, way back when, and then now Girls Five Ever. Oh, um, it's only just started on Stan. Okay. And it's funny. Like it's it it's it's an enjoyable watch. It's not amazing. Like I kind of said it was amazing. When it, the more I think about it, it is actually amazing. But when you're watching it, it's like it's the kind of thing you can watch. It's a little bit passive, it's you know. A snack. Yeah, it's a delicious little snack and it's funny and it's got heaps of references that you'll enjoy. And Tina Fey in the episode where she appears as um, a, a mirage of uh, what, what would you call that? A figment of of one of the characters' imaginations when she's trying to songwrite. Um, Tina Fey appears as Dolly Parton. It's pretty great. So I'm here for that. Worth it for that. So Stan? Girls five ever. <laughs> it's very catchy. Um, now, remember when we were going to form a band, Clackadacka? Clackadacka. Yeah, we yeah, never was did a cover that. band. We should. ACDC I'm covers. Still, I'm still keen. But um, <laughs> now I'm not at the ABC heaps. We need we need a party that we can play at. Yeah, we do need a party. Anyone want to have us for Clackadacka? I'm up for house parties, by the way. I was missing house parties. If anybody's got a good house party to invite me to, I'm there. Well, my brother just uh, called me to just discuss his 50th. Okay, and I've, and I've missed house parties so much. I said, oh, do you want to have it at mine? Yes. <laughs> oh, you have the best house parties. <laughs> yeah, I just, I was straight in there. I was like, I haven't, I just, what, want? yes. Of course, I miss it. I miss it so much. The cornerstone um, of a Miff Warhurst house party is that it only ends when she's playing you out with Phil Collins on the right, piano. That's right. It's usually sometime as the sun's going to come yeah. up. <laughs> Very good. Although it is a 50th, it might be a bit earlier these days. Um, uh Tell me, what are you banging on about? Well, Miff, I'm <laughs> glad you asked. I'm actually banging on about something that you banged on about last year. It's Ironically, after talking about, you know, wondering whether people follow up our re- recommendations, yeah. I've been following all your recommendations. Have you? You're I'm good. on to call my agent. Yes. Um, and I am finally got around to reading Meg Mason's great book, Sorrow and Bliss, <gasps> which came out late oh, last so year. so wonderful, isn't it? So good. Um, for anybody who missed that episode of Bang On, this is a story by an Australian writer who's done a bunch of work um, as a journalist both here and overseas. It's very... Very flea bag. Like mm. specifically, there's a relationship with two sisters, which reminds me very much of flea bag. Yep. But I like flea bag, so yeah. that's fine. And also, um, if you vibe on Sally Rooney, it's a similar kind of mm. um, funny but quite melancholic yeah. uh, tone to it. Just wonderfully written, though. There are some stellar sentences mm. in this book where I'm just like, whoa, like. How long did you work on that? It's so yeah. good. Like she's got a really fantastic turn of phrase. I'm so glad you read it because I remember reading it and I think it was before we did a bang on and I couldn't put it down and I was kind of crying at the end. Yeah. I was crying at the end. <laughs> I think I related a bit too much to one of the characters, maybe the main character. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I, I thought it was beautifully written. If you want to rip through something really quickly, mm. I just came off that um, epic surfing memoir, which oh, yes. was like – 
five or 600 pages and quite dense, beautiful but dense. This is a, a great um, quick read that will just scoop you up. So Sorrow and Bliss, I'm re-banging. Yay, love it. I'm banging on again. And um, I'm going to watch Maya of Easttown. What is happening to your face? I don't know how to say, say it. Maya. Well, how do you say her name? Mayor of Easttown. Oh, God. Is it the, Mayor? Or the latest episode. We, we call it? It's Mayor. Yeah, Mayor. She, she was called Marianne in an episode. Oh. Her mum got angry at her and I was like, that's so where it's So it's not the Mayor. No. It's Mayor. M-A-R-E. As in the female horse. Yeah, but I think it's short for Marianne, not not calling her a horse. Okay. I think it's probably more that fine. <laughs> I'm into the horse reference. That's fine. Someone, I've been getting a lot of tweets about that. And, um, oh, my God. I know. People have got spoilers on Twitter. No. Like, why would we want a spoiler? I love that, though, but I get that she wants to discuss it. I know. She desperately wants to. And don't, like, don't send me that spoiler. No. And I haven't (laughs) even started yet. Well, I've watched the first episode. but um, It gets dark. Yeah, it gets real dark. And I need to watch it first. So no spoilers, please. No spoilers. Not yet. Anyway. Let us all have our fun. Yeah. Should we bang on next week? Yeah, can't wait. See you then, Eurovision gal. Yeah. See you in sequence. on.